Plain Politics, a longtime partnership between the uh, Star Tribune and WCC Radio. John Rash and Denise Johnson from the Star Tribune editorial board join. Glad to have both of you on board as always, John. I will start with you. And Denise, it's the same question to you. Let's talk about seemingly this disparity we have between the U.S. government and Ukraine, where the U.S. government for days has been talking about uh, we think it's going to happen, the attack, what happened today as an example, uh, Wednesday, uh, February 16th. And Ukrainian President Zelensky has been saying, we don't see this, we don't appreciate the panic, where's the actual date of this? Even now we have this split where someone, not, you know, obviously we should give very little credibility at all, Vladimir Putin saying, uh, we're pulling back, and NATO and the West saying, we see no signs of that. So, John, what's, what's your feeling about how the Biden administration has handled this so far, in particular, a disconnect between the country that we're trying to protect? Well, that's really the only disconnect that's happened under the Biden administration in this Russia-Ukraine crisis. And clearly, President Biden has learned the hard way from, from the military and moral failure in Afghanistan and where there was scant negotiation with allies about the U.S. withdrawal from Kabul and other parts of that country. And he's done a much, much better job of rallying allies, not just in NATO, but also Asian allies, to resist the Kremlin oppression of Ukraine and to quite clearly telegraph not just what would happen if the Kremlin in, decided to invade its neighboring nation, but also in getting ahead of Vladimir Putin's misinformation game. And in just one instance, talking about how they uncovered the plan to have a false flag operation to make it look like Ukraine had actually moved on Russia as a pretext to an invasion. Now, in terms of the disconnect between President Zelensky and Biden, they have talked about this um, and seemingly have patched it up, and then it seems to flare up again. And part of it is that the U.S. has this active intelligence that they want to share and in a way get ahead of President Putin. But part of it is President Zelensky, understandably, doesn't want to panic his nation and it's also having a dire impact on its financial markets and its ability to export products and engage in commerce. So, you know, that might continue back and forth. But you mentioned also the disconnect between what President Putin had signaled in terms of more diplomacy, which certainly the whole world hopes is the outcome here, and perhaps some Russian troop withdrawal when not just President Biden, but NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg has said we see evidence of actually more troops arriving. So, you know, again, as you quite rightly say, Chad, uh, it's not wise to trust President Putin in terms of no. what he's saying. It's, it's smarter to see what he's doing. So in general, I think the administration has been much more on top of this than the last time. Denise, from what you see, what is the best thing the Biden administration has done so far and what gives you the most pause? Well, the Biden administration now has has worked with other um, countries within NATO, talked to uh, leaders in Germany and other countries around the the Ukraine, and that I think is is a positive kind of thing, as well as you know pushing for the kind of buildup of um, of NATO. 
Um, I think if you, anyone watching the the, the footage of what's happening along the border, um, there are Russian tanks, you know, side by side, <laughs> lined up along this border to to um, believe them when they say believe the Russians when they say that they are uh, pulling back. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that. Um, so I think one of the best things that the Biden administration has done is is, is continue to work with uh, Germany and other allies to make sure that they're prepared should something, should Russia, Russia invade. I want to react to an interview I had yesterday with Congresswoman Omar. And we covered a number of issues, including no-knock warrants in the city of Minneapolis and Denise and John, I can summarize a part of it in, in, in this way. The Congresswoman Omar pretty much crushed Jacob Fry on what is taking place in the city and said, where are your specific plans? How is it possible that you have the carjackings at the level? You have unsolved crimes in the city of Minneapolis, and then you attempted to help out the city of St. Paul, and she stood by the phrasing of execution. I asked her specifically if she wanted to stay with that. She said Amelia Huffman should not be the next uh, police chief. Denise, you first, and then John. What does it say when the congresswoman who represents this area lives in Minneapolis? Is this outspoken about what has taken place in a city where there is too much crime? There, in my opinion, too few cops. There is still the question of systemic racism, and there is a pretty significant divide within the party, which dominates this city in particular. Well, I think it's too uh, soon to be talking about, as you know, some of the advocates in, in the city have talked about both Fry and Huffman resigning. Um, and there's uh, tremendous concern over there. Uh, leadership abilities. Um, I I think it's too soon for that to happen. Um, I would like to see, as a uh, uh, congresswoman said, the the specific plans about what's going to be done to do take the both and approach that we've been supportive of, and that is when it comes to policing. What are they going to do about? Um, uh, reforms and changes and changes in the no-knock policy. I mean, that really damaged confidence when you had uh, the mayor um, campaigning on having a no-knock uh, no-knock policy, and it turns out that, well, no, it's not a completely a no-knock policy. So there have been a number of things like that that have damaged the, the credibility of the administration and this chief that's only been on the job for, what, three weeks now, three or, three or four weeks. Um, I don't know that it is time for both of them to go, though. So, John, on, on, on Mayor Fry, he did win. Uh, he does have greater power. But when you look at where his base is right now, John, you have those who are to the left of him who feel like the police department should have ended as we know it. We have those who to the right of him feel like he's not powerful enough that he cannot get enough police and that the city downtown in particular is not safe enough. That's a lot. Uh, uh, that's a lot of negativity. That's a lot of people waning on the other side of him when he has just begun his second term. 
Indeed. I think it's important to note that even though the voters approved an amendment in the city that gives the mayor more traditional powers like other cities have, he always did have generally the lion's share of control over the police department. And so that hasn't significantly changed. I concur with my colleague Denise that we need more specifics in terms of a plan. But the mayor has been quite clear throughout his administration and certainly in the most recent campaign, he thinks that the number of officers needs to increase. They're having a tremendously difficult time being able to hire officers at the pace that they need to. And I think that the split between Representative Omar and Mayor Fry is reflective of a much broader, longer uh, rivalry between the two, and, and they really fall into different camps. And it can't be forgotten that Representative Omar endorsed two of his opponents who were running against the mayor in the most recent election and also was in favor of the amendment that would have turned the police department or Department of Public Safety and could have theoretically meant fewer officers. Now, it's unsure what it would have meant because they, too, didn't have a plan, which became part of a you know, area of contention in the campaign. So I think that more than anything, the city of Minneapolis is in a crisis regarding the perception and clearly the reality of crime. They need more officers. And to the degree that the representative and the mayor and others could pull together in that direction, it certainly would send a better signal to people considering a career in the city than and people who are often chased to other jurisdictions because there's more political consensus and appreciation for the need for police. I've got about a minute left for both of you. I want to talk about the Durham report. This is the Trump-appointed special counsel investigating Russia and what happened. And clearly Donald Trump for years has been saying this is going to be a big, big report when it finally comes out. And to the former president of Fox News, this has been an aha moment that Hillary Clinton and her supporters were spying on Donald Trump. Others have said no, that is hyperbole, that is, is taking a small amount of it and extrapolating, and it's not fair. There's a divide in that. But what conservatives say is that mainstream media has not given this the coverage it deserves at all compared to the endless coverage that Donald Trump and whatever, whatever involvement Russia played in getting him elected. John, do conservatives have a point on the coverage issue? Yes, they do. And I think that, you know, there clearly have been efforts by responsible newspapers across the country to try to reflect the latest developments in this and not just have this slide by as yesterday's or two years ago's news. But I think that, you know, there probably needs to be more of an effort on that and to reflect the news narrative. And, and this is a change. So I do think that as often happens in a lot of news stories, that the, the noise over the initial allegation drowns out the uh, revised story when it comes out. And this may indeed be one of those cases. Denise, how about you? Well, I would uh, agree with John on that, that there, um, that the media does have to do more to look into that particular issue. Um, I think some of the, some of the criticisms of, of media on that are probably correct. 
Thanks. To, uh, well, do you expect that the editorial board will chime in sometime on this in particular? We have uh, spoken about this before. I think very recently we just ran a commentary on our op-ed page about this as well, and I'm sure that we'll continue to cover it on the editorial page. And as you and all of our listeners know, there's a separation between news and editorial, so we'll, we'll mm-hmm. have to see what the news side does on this as well. Thanks as always, guys. John Rash and Denise Johnson from the Star Tribune. A preview for next hour. We come back in just a matter of moments here on Newstalk 830 WCCO.